right? Well, listen, I want to invite you. Come on. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. All right, turn to page 1,563. Um, or in your Bible, the book of James. All right, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of James. If you're, if you're uh, into, into the Bible app, you're going to get there the fastest. We understand that. But go ahead. You have permission. Please, get your phone, grab the Bible app, because you're going to want to highlight some of these passages. So maybe you're, you're, you're a little nervous where, where we're going. You, you've heard some things about James. James, he can be a bit like me. All right? He doesn't mind your toes, okay? He may, he may want to step on them ever so slightly just to encourage you. Right? You always know you should be nervous if the pastor says, I got some encouragement for you today. <laughs> but I mean, <clears throat> I do mean it. Today I'm going to talk about two, two words, speak life. And I want to lay the groundwork for today's message, clearly coming from Scripture. We're going to read through some verses. For some of you, you're, you're new to the faith, maybe new to the Scriptures. Keep James in your back pocket. All right? If you want a book on Christian living, all right? What it means to live with Christ as king. James is your brother. And a little fun fact, he was also the brother of Jesus. So there you go. We're going to look at James, James chapter 3. And for you, it might be titled similarly to me, it's Taming the Tongue. And I want to just lay the foundation for our message today, Speak Life. So James chapter 3, we're going to read... 17 verses, we'll move swiftly, and they should come up on the screens as well. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, <laughs> able to keep his whole body in check. What's that implying? Our tongues need some major self control. And that's where James is headed. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is its small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his or her life on fire. <laughs> what a joy. And is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Could both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? To which the answer is no. 
Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Today, we're going to talk about the influence and the power of our words. James holds no punches. And I'm going to share something that you don't actually have to be that spiritual or spiritually minded to understand. And that is that your and my words have tremendous influence. We've been shaped by the words people have spoken to us and shaped by the words people have even spoken over us. We've been transformed by the words we've actually received into our inner being. Our words, all the way back to Genesis, you can see, our words have great, great influence. So, in 2018, the Mendocino Fire started in California. Now, wildfires by now are no surprise to those that live in California, and I'm sure like, like me, it's no surprise when the news comes on and says there's another wildfire in California. We're, we're almost so accustomed to it. Something unique <clears throat> about the Mendocino Fire, which at the time was the largest consuming wildfire in all of California and, in fact, America at the time. In less than 30 days, the fire went from day one, 5,000 acres, to by day 30-ish, 400,477 acres. <laughs> it's a graph. You can follow along on the screen, right? July 27th, 5,000. The next day, it jumps to 14,000. You get all the way down to August 20th, it's almost to 401,000 acres. And I thought it was apropos how CNN reported on it. Cal Fire has determined that the ranch fire was caused by a spark or a hot metal fragment landing in a receptive fuel bed. Fire started with what? A spark. Spark. In fact, they detail it. It was a, a, a hot metal peg, and you can almost hear the sound. Cling. And a spark flew off and rapidly changed the course of the history of, yes, the ranch fire, but that entire region. I want you to think that's astounding. Perhaps you're here today, like I have been in moments, where my words have sparked a beautiful fire. Or a not-so-beautiful fire in my life. Power words. Our words have tremendous, tremendous influence. Now, I may share on an area you have no much, not too much interest in, and I understand that, but it's been a little bit in the news over the past few months as a certain entrepreneur business guru, Elon Musk, has tried to take over or buy Twitter. And what's been intriguing to me is how a few words, or at times a simple emoji, granted, a poop emoji, can dramatically can dramatically affect 
the share price of Twitter. I'll bring up a graph for you to see. You can follow the trends there. Musk reveals the stake in Twitter April 4th. Twitter accepts his acquisition offer. And in July 8th, you could see a dramatic drop-off with a few small words tweeted. Let's be honest. When we tweet or get on social media, it's probably not having as dramatic financial effect on the <laughs> nation and the globe, granted. But it's another small example of the influence of words. We were trained and maybe we grew up in a culture that words predominantly shared information. And that, from day one of our lives, is the most basic foundation for our words. But as we grow and begin to navigate life, begin to recognize that words are doing far more than just sharing information. They're actually shaping the world we live in. Last week, talk about having the right people in your life. This message is tethered to last week because here's why you need the right people in your life. You and I both need God-ordained voices to speak into our inner being. It's vitally important. It's vitally important for this journey that we are on. And you know, so like me, there are moments you end a conversation with somebody and you're like, hey, that was unexpected and at the same time amazing. That was really great. Well, what happened? Maybe you were heard for the first time. Maybe they're a friend. You had some shared experiences. But more often than not, people are encouraged. People are equipped. People are given sound wisdom. And what does that begin to do? It begins to cultivate and shape their lives. Proverbs 18.21, a verse I do share. I will just be fully transparent. About once a month, this verse drops into a message. And sometimes it's four times a month. I can't help it, okay? I just, just I believe in the power of words. Proverbs 18.21 You'll want to highlight this. You'll want to write this one down for looking back later. You could spend a month meditating and prayerfully considering this. But it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. James, in the verses we read, he's winking at Proverbs 18.21. Especially when he says, the tongue is scorched by hellfire. You know what I mean? He's... He's giving a wink because what is he saying? It can lead to death and destruction. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So the fruit of our words, I just looked at three, three specific areas, death and life. We can bring up that image. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. But how, how many of you, if you've ever experienced life anywhere remotely like me, you know that sometimes under the category of death, you, you navigate or you receive words or maybe you cultivate words that are fear-based. False experiences appearing real. Right? We're all in fear recovery, okay? You're in a good place. We're all in recovery from fear. <laughs> it fuels the economy. It fuels our culture. It fuels a good chance your political party or political-mindedness. Fear is the great manipulative tactic 
of the evil one. It's tactics. Jesus comes along and says the opposite. What does he say? He brings life. He gives us confidence. How does he do that? His word that we hold true. It says, do not worry. 365 times, how intriguing, the Bible says, do not be afraid. You got a, you got a verse or a footnote for every day of the year, baby. It's just, do not fear. But how many of you know a relationship can go smooth to sour by fear or mistrust? How do we often communicate mistrust? Yes, by our actions, but also often our actions, our inner world begins leaking because our words come from the overflow of our heart. It's an inside job. Mistrust, but then we come alongside Jesus or we, we, we begin to position the right people, the right voices, the loudest voices, give them great um, volume, so to speak, in our life, and we can cultivate trust. Death comes through, uh, or, or, or words of death can come sometimes through anxiety. Now, anxiety is a real, real, just as we're all in recovery from fear, let's be honest, we're all in recovery from anxiety. And there's dramatically different levels of that, which you won't dive into all then. But words of life, I can tell you, you can bring peace. In fact, Jesus calls for us to be his witnesses. And, and sometimes the most vital witness, the most vital example is when we carry the spirit of peace, calm. It cultivates trust and it cultivates confidence. If you think I, one of kind of the elementary pastoral roles I have is helping people hear the voice of God. And sometimes people are like, well, what does the voice of God sound like? A great starting place is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. God doesn't come angry. He doesn't come mad. He's not ticked off. He's not agitated by you. Now, many people have that God in their mind, but I know the Holy Spirit is the happiest person in the room. And he is a vessel communicating God's great love to you. So I love to think about, well, is it kind? Is it good? Is it patient? Is it maybe convicting, but at the same time not condemning? It's a beautiful wonder of God's voice. And so Paul, let's be honest, not Paul, James, James gives us three images. We could bring that up, three images. We get a horse with a bit in its mouth. We get a ship with a rudder. And we get a matchstick. <laughs> we get a small spark and the damage that it can do. James is wanting us to wake up. He's wanting us to consider. In fact, earlier in his text, he said, hey, hey, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And what's so exciting and yet challenging about that is, in our first baby steps of Christianity, when we are first saved, first coming to the revelation of God's love and his mercy in Christ's life, death, resurrection and what that means for us right when we step into all he has for us at first we're just hearers i mean we're doers but man we're like failing all over the place some of you are a little holier than others i get it when you were first saved but 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 we're we're hearers but james comes along and says no 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 no. you got to be doers well what what in chapter three of james is a doer of the word somebody who understands the influence of their words 
understands that, you know what, my words can shape others and shape myself. My, my words are communicating in any given moment. See, James comes along and he highlights, he magnifies the importance of our words. Americans, on average, say 16,000 words a day. Come on, give yourself a pat on the back. Down, 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 okay. Extroverts and introverts, that's what I want to know, but it wasn't in the study, okay? But that's excluding texts. I mean, with text messaging, come on, that's a pretty preferred method in this day and age. It also, that study excludes Facebook comments, social media comments. Some of y'all like to comment. Come on, some of you need to pat yourself on the back, right? You know what I mean? But all of that, all of that, all of that is communicating. All of it's communicating. So, how do I speak life? Colossians 3.17, I uphold that. Through the power of the Spirit, so far I've gone 39 years without making a mistake. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek. But I uphold Colossians 3.17. says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Four particular areas that I glean from my life over the years. I've had to learn these, had to grow in these from Colossians 3.17. I revolve around these four and I, I try to equip others. So consider yourself being equipped, all right? I consider the tone. I consider the timing. I consider the content. And I consider the setting. That wasn't meant to be painful. Y'all look like, well, hey, don't, no, no. So I consider the tone, the timing, the content, the setting. How did I glean those? <laughs> well, I feel like after about a million mistakes, we should be learning something. <laughs> uh, how did I learn that? Well, let, let me say this. First and foremost, a marriage help. Learn a lot. The learning curve is super high. Having kids that can repeat your words back to you is also another, another learning curve. Uh, pastoring and and leading a church, that's another great setting for learning. And then just day-to-day -day life. Social media has really helped. All right, not y'all. People outside of this church who post on social media has really helped me filter what I say. <laughs> All right, the tone. So what, so what are we getting at when we're getting at the tone? We're talking about the tone. Let's just, here's a brief example. Jesus loves you! Now some of you are like, finally. He's getting back to that good old hellfire and brimstone. Okay. Some of you, that's your tone. I get it. I get it. I get it. Join a small group. All right. I'll, I'll find. We'll, we'll create an angry one for you. But that's the tone, right? That's the tone. 
that's what I'm getting at a little bit, right? The tone. About 10 years ago, the Lord began to, to, to kind of challenge me, convict me in an area, and said, Paul, I will never ask you to lead in a way that jeopardizes the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And at first, I thought that was an inconvenient truth, so I put it in my box of documentaries for another time. Then I realized, oh, unlike the documentary, I realized, oh, that has vital wisdom for my life, and that the tone is important. This is kind of relationship 101, because if you're anything like me, you're typically always right. Anybody else always right? Yeah, yeah. I won't call you out. You just voluntarily. When you're always right, or think you're always right, you almost always communicate your rightness, and it's possible to be right, but to be miles away. And still when it's all said and done, be wrong. The reality is Jesus does love you. (laughs) But it takes a specific tone in relationship to communicate that. So I've realized to use discretion, to not always shoot from the hip, and certainly I've learned over time, now this isn't always the case, but I've learned to try not to let my words come from my feelings. Especially when I'm down, especially when I'm angry, especially when, uh, uh, you know, I feel frustrated or disappointed. I've learned if I give myself 60 minutes, my feelings will change. Sometimes I add Twinkies into the mix, M&Ms, <laughs> some caffeine, for real, and I realize, okay, it can shift. So I'm not going to, I don't want to get, I don't wanna get um, caught up in that moment. I want to just, maybe prayer also, I should say, is another great alternative just to be sure I communicate the tone. Colossians 3.17, it says, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, in word and deed. Kindness and gentleness are fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the great things the Lord began to communicate to me. So Paul, I'll never ask you to communicate. I'll never ask you to lead. Never ask you, even in your closest relationships and friendships, to those far out of reach. I'll never ask you to jeopardize the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because there are tones that make a loud noise and a big splash and get a lot of attention. There are tones we can use to own a room. I understand that. But it always, not almost, always must yield to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like in our family, there are some rules. You can yell loud enough, you will get hurt. Ask my daughters, and they will tell you, ask my dad, right? We, they've learned it. On, they, get, they got some of that on us, okay? We can be loud to get, to get, all, the atten- get, get all the attention, right? So there's, there's sometimes we can do that, but sometimes we've got to understand, man, the tone, the tone, the tone is vital in our workplace and in our coworkers. Every place our foot treads. One of the things I had to learn, Kelly, thankfully, found a way to communicate to me. She's very gifted. And I always, uh, this, is, this is me being totally transparent. For the first five years of our marriage, I thought she was always exaggerating. Because I was convinced, maybe some of you men or husbands may be able to relate to this. I was convinced that I was not yelling. Legit. 
legit. And what I realized was, while I was not yelling, what she heard was yelling. That was a big step for me. I feel, I feel lighter already. Thank you. It's like a therapy. <laughs> like a little bit of a therapy session right there. It used to, no, no, like, no kidding. I used to be so aggravated. I was like, oh, man, how can I be misunderstood, misheard? Why does she always exaggerate? And it was like, oh, maybe I need to be a little more gentle. Maybe I need a little bit more kind. The same was with our daughters. The same was true when I was coaching high school soccer. (laughs) And um, my competitive nature just whipped into a frenzy. And Kelly came to one of my games with our daughters. She said, hey, uh, maybe you could tone it down again. You know, you're you're a pastor in the community. (laughs) I said, thank you, Jesus, and moved on. But the tone, the tone is a vital, vital first step. Perhaps it's the greatest first step. And again, loving others well. What's the goal of this message? What's the goal of this message? It's loving God well and loving others well. Because sometimes we carry the truth of the gospel of Jesus, but we have made so much damage, left such a wake that there's no chance they're going to hear us. Because we got so excited in a specific opinion that we had, and even though we were right, we landed up breaking trust, and now what do we do? We've got to restore trust. But glory be to God, he enables us to restore trust. You see where I'm going? You see what I'm understanding? That sometimes, if we're not careful, we're sharing the truth, but it's not in love. We're sharing the truth, but it's not in kindness. It's not in gentleness. So the tone, the tone is vital. We carry, I'm still convinced of this, y'all, I'm still convinced that we carry the greatest truth, the greatest hope, the greatest peace, the longing of thirsty souls all around us. It requires that we share, that we communicate in a way that is Christ-like. Doesn't mean we hold back on the truth. No, 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 no. But sometimes, I mean, you know, There's a tone to it. There's a tone to it. The timing. The timing is just as critical. I've learned this. As somebody who who could be branded impatient from time to time, I've learned that sometimes what I need to communicate, it's not the right time. So I'll let you know, relationally, I'm a fixer. Okay? So um, I'm I'm like, hey, we're here. We we had an argument. I'm sorry. You're sorry. We're good. Um, and I project that onto everybody I come into contact with. You know? No pressure, no pressure, y'all, okay? Don't feel that pressure. But I'm like, man, ooh, error of my ways. Thank you, Jesus, forgive me. Okay, you, I'm sorry you forgive me. And they're like, yeah, that's great. Okay, good, we're good, we're good. And I'm a fixer, so, so I brought that in. So um, not everybody in my life is wired that way. And some of them, it takes time. And so I realized timing is a vital part of how I communicate in word and deed. Timing. They give people the space to receive what's been said, give people the space to see if I'm acting accordingly in what I said in my apology, right? 
It's all just a, just a vital, vital part of our life. And when I think of speaking life, especially, right, we want to be people of faith. We want to be people of hope. There are moments and situations with people in our lives that the timing is critical. And sometimes, I've noticed this even about myself, if somebody is in a grieving season, I need to be sensitive with what I'm saying in that moment. Like, you know, we love to say your best days are ahead. Amen? I mean, you come to Hillside, somebody's going to tell you your best days are ahead. We believe that. We believe that. We pray that. We declare that. Jeremiah 29, 11. Man, we, we ring that bell. But I've also had to learn that there are nuances to speaking life. And sometimes speaking life is a listening ear. Sometimes for me, the Lord has shown me, man, speaking life is, hey, here's a song to help you grieve well in this tough, tough point. It's not, it's not speaking death, it's actually speaking life. Timing, timing is critical. I've, I, I've learned that. Then there are other moments where it is, man, the, the difficulty frustration is set in and we step in and our timing man we follow that unction of the holy spirit amen who's still alive and active today he never stopped he's still moving we follow that and what do we do we step in and we bring life we bring hope how many of you let let, let me just see a show of hands somebody came across your life they had no idea and they brought you an encouraging word they had no idea that they were set up by god have you ever had that ever had that where it was a text you're like what a voicemail a meme <laughs> there's all forms we can communicate now and it's god's perfect timing what's happening god has the best timing he sends somebody he sends that word do all in the name of the lord jesus so if we're looking a little bit at the fruit of the spirit as well okay we understand that the timing requires patience and self-control Sometimes if we're in a position to coach, to lead others, or if we feel we need to correct, all right, we need to use patience, wisdom, but the timing is critical in that. Because many times if people are too busy, if they're too broken, if they're too hurt, they're just some things, it's not their season. One of the things I've noticed with people as they first come to faith in Christ, start that journey, we've got to be careful, even, even in pastoring, small group leading, we've got to be careful not to give them 30 years along life's journey in Christ to launch that at them. But when they're first saved, first new, they need lots of encouragement. We all need lots of encouragement. That never changes. But God has to have his way, his timing, his tone. We always want to make sure we're partnering with him. So the timing can be crucial. The content, that's pretty straightforward. Do all in the name of Jesus. One of the things the Lord has, has um, challenged me on sometime is there are just some conversations I've learned are unnecessary. I always, if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's speaking life, okay, speaking life, I always think to myself, Here's, here's kind of the, the step of relationship, right? Here's how we operate. Okay, we think to ourselves, where do I have responsibility? Here's the beautiful thing in the body of Christ is we've got brothers and sisters all over the place. So you can literally speak life every time you're in this place, every small group, anytime you like. 
But one of the things, you know, I joke around, it's like trying to parent other people's kids. Y'all have never done that. My goodness, okay. But, but, but if you try to parent other people's kids, listen, I'm going to set you free right here, right now. When you're in Walmart, in the produce section, and you're trying to parent other people's kids, here's the deal. You don't have responsibility, therefore you don't have authority. I know you want control. I get that. Welcome to the party. We all want control. We're all control freaks recovering. I get that. But here's the thing. We've got to critically understand, okay, where, where do I have responsibility, and then that gives authority. I try to keep this in mind as a pastor. Listen, not that I'm thinking about you, okay? Not that I'm thinking about you, but I always like, okay, always like to think to what degree am I this person's pastor? I don't lead with a title. How many of you know you came in today and I'm the pastor? I get it. But how many of you know you can come in today and I ain't got to lick a pastoring in your life? That's your door to open. Amen, somebody? That's good preaching. For other of you, it's just like, man, here's the hyped up guy. He had his nitro. Okay, he's good to go. And I hope he has something worth saying. I get that. But how many of you know it's totally different when you crack that door open and say, hey, now I'm willing to be pastor. It shifts. It shifts. Now there's responsibility attached. Not because I've demanded authority, but because you cracked open a door for the authority. Say, hey, 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 hey. It's the same with the word of God. We spend time here parallel with the level of authority we let God's word have in through our lives. Our timing with the Holy Spirit is parallel. Not necessarily quantity, but quality for sure, to the level we want him to have authority in our lives. Sometimes we give information too much authority in our lives. It's far easier. It's far easier to live off other people's spirituality. If Jesus is always looking us in the face, most of the time he's smiling. And he's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Rabbit trail over. Last. The setting. Another vital piece to always consider when we're saying speaking life is the setting, right? So we've got tone, we've got timing, we've got content. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, is. This is conversation. This is relationally speaking, right? So often, if we're saying 16,000 words, we're not giving a lot of thought much of the time. But if we could slow down and prayerfully consider, I believe our words can help shape this region. I believe it. And then the setting. When it comes to, the, when it comes to speaking life, I do, I do like to think about the setting. And so a little, a little leadership nugget I have for you, which I learned from others, and it really works, and it really brings peace, harmony, it's this. Publicly praise, privately correct. Privately praise, that's a lie. Publicly praise, privately correct. Everyone is worthy of dignity and respect, James shot us in chapter 3. It was painful, but he said, listen, all, all humans have been created in God's image. 
several, several years ago, I remember being in a leadership setting for some youth ministers a couple decades ago. And this, this coach, this, this pastor, this leader said, hey, said, hey, if you want to help change the leadership dynamic, if you want to model healthily, think about this. Publicly praise, privately correct. Same could be true for your kids, right? If two of them are together, you know, separate them and then go. Same could be true in your workplace. Same could be true on social media. Privately. Don't post what should be a conversation. Private. Privately. Because here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. People will begin to see how you handle your words, how you use your words. And here's what you, you may not be aware of. Everybody's listening and everybody's watching most of the time. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth is speaking. And so here's what's crazy about Speak Life. You could actually practice it today. You could practice it this afternoon. You may be thinking, man, Speak Life, whew, that is a discipline, that's a habit I need to begin working on. Because if I look back, I've got so many regrets. I've not spoken life. I've spoken stupid. Well, I hope you feel welcome. Because <laughs> all of us have all sorts of stories, all sorts of moments where we beat ourselves up and we've been frustrated because we've spoken stupid. And here's some really encouraging news. There's a chance we're going to speak stupid coming up, okay? We're not going to do it intentionally. But we are being formed into the image of God. You look at Simon Peter. That man, every time he opened his mouth in the Gospels, it wasn't one foot in, it was both feet stuck in his mouth. In fact, to date, in the Gospels, he's the only disciple to have been looked in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I mean, whew, talk about speaking some things you shouldn't have spoke. Well done, Peter. But about 40 days later, from that moment, it's Peter preaching the gospel. The first sermon, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people repenting, being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of speaking life. And listen, there's no relationship you're in that's so far gone. That that moment of speaking life can't turn the page. We can make it real. We got 30 seconds. For some of you, there's a long lost friend, family member, child, grandparent. One text, speaking life, can begin to redeem God's story. Maybe in your heart, but certainly in theirs. Speaking life, it's not an ideal, it's who we are, it's Christ-like. It's part of our wiring. I want you to think about that. As a follower of Christ, your new life in Christ, when we get hit, it's what comes out. We're all practicing, we're all learning, but I want to encourage you, 
Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. This isn't hokey pokey. This is legitimate. Spend time in his presence. Spending time on your knees. Spending time in the word of God. Spending connected time in a small group in church. I promise it's a guarantee. Your life will begin to be transformed. Trust me, I look back at some of the conversations I had with Kelly when we were first married, and I'm just so glad there's not video footage of how silly and stupid I would say things. I mean that. I mean that. Y'all think I'm just like trying to relate with you. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. (laughs) But I look back and I'm like, man, I used to argue about the most unnecessary things. But one thing I purposed in my heart to do is I'm going to get with God. I'm going to keep getting with God. It's not sexy. I'll just be straight. It's not awesome. There's not angels in the room and, you know, the clouds part and, you know, lightning strike. It's not. But it's a habit. Every day. Every morning. Jesus, I'm coming for you. (laughs) And here's the wheel again. (laughs) You know? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you. God will begin slowly but surely to transform your heart and to transform your words. And here's what gets to be remarkable. You live as a witness and you're on display to the world around you. And they lean in and now they can trust your words and they can trust your gospel. The gospel which says Jesus is king and God loves us, cares for us and there is forgiveness of sin. Amen.